Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Jamie Sherling is a joy seeker, drag ambassador, and memoir author. She lives in Wisconsin with her two kids. When she's not working at her day job or trying on piles of clothes at thrift stores, you can find her screaming, yes, surrounded by a bunch of queens. Hope I got that right. (laughs) Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Before we dive in, just based on your bio, I have to know, do you shop at ThreadUp or Poshmark? Because they're my favorites. I shockingly don't. You might be surprised based on that bio, but I don't because there's an amazing thrift shop here in the town where I live. Oh, and nice. I have been a frequent customer for, gosh, eight, almost eight years now, pretty much just after they opened. And it is an amazing, amazing setup where you bring a bag of clothes, you give them a certain dollar amount, and then you leave with a bag of clothes. Please take us back to the very beginning of your cancer journey. So I was diagnosed in April of 2018, but I have to back up a little before that. So I had a unique experience in that in 2017, I had a a mammogram. It was just recommended from a friend. I was 40 and thought, I should go get a mammogram. Didn't have concerns, no reason, just thought it was a good idea. Had the mammogram. They found some spots. I had a biopsy and everything was fine. Then at the end of that appointment, they said, come back in a year. So when I went back a year later, I wasn't expecting anything. I was really, I was more scared in 2017 when I was not diagnosed than 2018 when I actually was diagnosed because in 2018, I thought, well, I had this mammogram before. I had a biopsy before. It wasn't anything then. It's not going to be anything now. Well, I was wrong. It was something. And then that's when I found out I had cancer was in the spring of 2018 when I almost even forgot to make that appointment because it was just like, oh, I can do that, I guess. I'm glad did they I did. tell you right away? Did you have to get some more tests beyond the mammogram before they gave you a definitive diagnosis? I actually, I think I had, I'm trying to remember this a few years ago, but I believe I had two, I might've had two, I think I had two mammograms and then a biopsy because I had the first mammogram, the one in 2018. So I had that one and I think they said it was like inconclusive or something. So they asked me to get another mammogram and then that one, they said, well, hmm, there's some suspicious spots. Let's do a biopsy. And then after the biopsy was there's cancer. Oh my goodness. What was your first thought? I would say an expletive, but I won't on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I know how to filter myself in case, um, write the letter F. (laughs) I was just mostly just shocked. Like I couldn't believe it because how could I, I don't have cancer. How could I have cancer? That's, that's not what I'm dealing with. Oh wait, it is. So I was just stunned, which is funny because I was going on a follow-up. So you'd think I wouldn't be so surprised, but I was. I was surprised nonetheless. And then it turned quickly into, okay, now what do we do? So I am very much, I don't know, a fixer of sometimes other people's lives, sometimes my own. 
And it was, what do we do? And I was lucky in that I got to see the surgeon the very next day, just happened to have a cancellation. So I found out. And the next day I met with the surgeon. So I met with the surgeon. Whoa, that's fast. I had, it was, it was very quick. I was grateful. I think it was just luck of the schedule it was just availability. It said, you can come tomorrow. Okay. I'm coming tomorrow. So met with a surgeon. I had genetic testing because we weren't sure. I also had a scan to see if it was only in my breast or if it had spread, which it had. So then I knew the plan would for sure at least be chemotherapy and radiation. So it was kind of take a test, wait a few days, take a test, wait a few days, and then talk to someone else. Okay, wait a little bit, talk to someone else. And that went on for, for weeks probably before treatment actually started where we had this definitive plan and said, this is what we're doing. So how did you know that it would be chemo and radiation? Because that's not always the case. Sometimes it's one or the other or neither. So how did you know that? Had you been around people who had had breast cancer in the past? And also what type of breast cancer did you have? So I had invasive ductal carcinoma. The first decision was lumpectomy or mastectomy which I think a lumpectomy works for someone who maybe has, well, a lump, hence the term. And mine had already spread. And my surgeon actually was kind enough to show me of before and after from the year prior to that time. And it was three dots back in 2017. Three dots, boom, like almost a triangle. Like the 10 next, points, little teeny tiny Oh, yeah, dot. just okay. doot, 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 three spots. And then the next time, it was like a constellation. So it, it went from three little dots to. And so that was why a lumpectomy, it was like, you, you don't have one lump. That's not an option. And it had spread so far that that made the mastectomy of the decision. And then it went into my lymph nodes, which that is what decided the chemotherapy. If it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes, then I probably wouldn't have done chemotherapy. And I also, in that genetic testing I mentioned, I did test positive for, it's called the CHECK2 mutation, which I didn't know much about, but it made the likelihood of having breast cancer in my other breast was 30%. And I thought, no way. And so that's, I decided to have a double mastectomy because of the genetic testing. So that's what that's made that. It was kind of a test and then a decision and then a test and a decision. You kept getting more information. And then that information would dictate what would you do next. So before I ask you about reconstruction, after that mastectomy, what were the next steps? I mean, what, what did the rest of the treatment regimen look like? It was a pretty immediate from the mastectomy to then chemotherapy. So I had had about five months of chemotherapy and then a little bit of a break. And then I had six weeks of radiation, which was six weeks, every day of the week. My time traveling to get the radiation was, was longer than the radiation. It was maybe 15 minutes that I was in there. So it was quick. It was quick, but it was just quick five days a week for six weeks. Which one was worse? Oh, definitely chemo. thousand percent chemo for me. For me, again, everything I say is just me. So radiation, I really didn't feel anything. I got very lucky during the time, I will say. So every week, I would have the five sessions. I think Wednesdays, I saw my radiation oncologist and she would ask, how's it going? How are you feeling? She would look at my skin and I kept not having, I had no, no marks, no burns and thinking, and I remember about halfway through thinking, Ooh, am I going to get through this with nothing? 
hopes that you're going to have something. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, fine. So optimistic. I love it. <laughs> but I was glad that she told me that it could happen after because that's what happened. So I had no side effects really of radiation until it was done. And then maybe a week later, my skin was on fire. So that was very uncomfortable, but it was a short time period. Whereas chemotherapy, it was five months. What was the worst thing about chemotherapy? And then I would love to know, what did you say to your children? So I am vain and I am a big enough person to admit it. Uh, really, truly, the hardest part was losing my hair. I did not like not having hair. I really, really did not like that. I liked my hair. And I feel like you sometimes if you have chemotherapy, it's like you look like a sick person. Like it's not you just can, a short sometimes. haircut. Yeah, you it can. depends on the person. But for me, it's like I felt like I looked sick because I didn't have hair. So I really didn't like not having hair. And I wore wigs, which was great. But I think wigs are hot and they're itchy and they're uncomfortable. <laughs> so it was kind of like choose between two evils because I didn't want to wear the wigs because they weren't comfortable. But I didn't want to not have hair either. I'm like, I just want to have hair again. So that was probably the worst because and it was so much more long lasting. As far as other side effects, they came and went a little more, you know, like you might feel bad for a couple of days where it's like, I didn't have hair that whole time. How old were your kids and how much did they understand about what was going on? Uh, they understood more than I wanted them to because I have a brother who had cancer and passed away. So oh, they had Jimmy. that experience when they were that much younger. So they were like six and eight when their uncle died. So that was the first experience. So I think I, I was very careful in telling them because in their mind, it was, oh, you have cancer. Now, granted, they did. My father is also a cancer survivor. So they had grandpa who's still here. He's over 80 now and survived non-Hodgkin's lymphoma twice. But then they also knew Uncle Corey. And so that immediate thought of, oh, wait, like are, you have this. Does that mean you're going to die? So I was careful in the way I presented, I waited until I had all of the information to tell them. So that was really hard, but it was, to me, it was worth it. So I didn't tell them. It was probably days before I started treatment because I didn't know what to tell them. So I didn't want to say, well, I might have cancer. Well, I might have treatment. I might do this. I thought that was going to be unfair. So I waited until I had all the information so then I could say, we're going to do chemo for this long. I'm going to have radiation for this. And I pretty much spelled out the entire plan. And oddly enough, it never, it never changed that time, you know, when everything the team had decided, it was pretty much to the letter. Like we had that many treatments and that much chemo and that many radiation and all the things. So I think that was helpful to them rather. So they didn't have those weeks of uncertainty. They just knew when everything was about to get going. Do they know now that it's, it's past that, that you kept it to yourself until you absolutely had to? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. One of my two teenagers, I wrote a book and one of them's reading it. And if they're they're reading the book, they, they know all the things about about my journey. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think I presented it to them like, oh, I just found out yesterday. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think that really they really care either way. Having those six, four to six weeks of uncertainty, it was hard enough for me. I do not think that would have been fair to them. Not at all. Oh, I agree. I agree. So, Did you have yeah. some support though? Oh, I had great support. My my best friend knew before anybody else. She actually knew before my husband at the time. She just, we share everything. We talk every day on the phone and 
she knew she knew I had the mammogram. She knew I had that. She knew I had the biopsy. And I think she had just called. And it was kind of just timing. I didn't specifically, I think, try to tell her first. So she was there for me, you know, just total rock. And yeah, I had support, but it was a challenge. It got a lot easier when I could tell everybody. Because I would tell people, you know, if, if I was really, really close to them or if I'd see them and say, okay, here's this thing that's happening, but but don't, but it's not public. And so it was a lot easier. So once, once I told the kids, I put it on social media, like it was totally, I was very open about it. And it was a lot easier rather than trying to think, oh, does this person know? Do they not know? Who am I telling? Who am I not telling? <laughs> that way is hard to keep up with those energy. <laughs> way too much for me, way too much. Oh, no, I, I, I understand that. What did you opt to do in terms of reconstruction, if any? I chose not to do reconstruction. And I chose, I made that decision after I met with the plastic surgeon. And the plastic surgeon had told me, well, the first thing is they just look at your body because there are a couple different ways that you can do reconstructive surgery. And one of them is if you have enough fat in certain places, then you can kind of like use your own fat to help you out there. And I didn't have enough. Unfortunately, I'm like, well, that's not nice because it's like, well, I'm the heaviest I've ever been, but not heavy enough for that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so, so that wasn't an option. So I knew my only option was implants. And the other piece of it, this plastic surgeon refused to do any kind of reconstruction until after I had healed, which makes complete sense. She's going to want, you know, it's her work and it's a visual thing, wants it to be the best. So if I was going to make that choice, it wasn't going to be until the following summer because it was going to be after chemotherapy, after radiation, heal. So it would have been basically a year later. And I really think that's what made me make that decision, thinking, do I want to go through all of this and then spend my next summer, which I live in the Midwest, I live in Madison, Wisconsin, and I love summer. So I'm thinking, do I want to spend my whole summer in more surgeries after I've been through all this? No, no, I do not. And I was right. That summer was a great summer. Had a good was time. it? Oh, it was what, awesome. What made it great? I spent a lot of time with my drag queen friends and just enjoying that. I like Madison in that you can be outside a lot and patio seating and being on the lake. And I just like being warm, especially after so much <laughs> of the years not warm. You had genetic testing done. Is mm -hmm. there any concern? Actually, I don't think I asked, do you have a daughter? And is there any concern for her or any other members of your family? It's actually for both my teenagers. The doctor at the time said that when they were 18, they should both have genetic testing. Really? Just, no matter what, like that was the recommendation. It wasn't, not now, it wasn't worse. I don't know what, what the magic age of 18 was, but they said, it's just smart when they're 18, do genetic testing. And then, you know, because for me, I didn't know if I had known earlier. Maybe it would have been a lumpectomy, maybe no chemo, you know, who knows? You can't play that game, but knowing you're going to probably make different choices. So that was the recommendation. So we wow. will see when that day comes. But yeah, that was, that was the, the encouragement was for any children to have genetic testing done. I feel like people think cancer's genetic, like all the time, every cancer, and most of the time it's not, but when it is... Do you want to be tested? And it's interesting because I know someone who she's from Canada and genetic testing is 
automatic once you're 18, if there's been anything whatsoever. And so she knew that she was going to be prone to breast cancer. And she said she spent her 20s waiting to get cancer. It was such this overriding fear. And Mm -hmm. she turned 30. And sure enough, she was diagnosed with cancer. So I love talking about genetic testing because there can be a downside. And she's such a great example to to be Mm -hmm. worried all the time about Mm -hmm. what is most likely going to happen at some point in your life but you can't predict when. Right. Oh, that's a very valid point. Mm -hmm. So Jamie, tell me, what was your worst moment in all of it? In my cancer journey? Yeah. Mm, Well, can I say a moment that was during that time, but it didn't really relate to the cancer? Of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It was when my now ex-husband made some made some choices in our marriage that I did not appreciate. (laughs) And I can get into that. I can delve more or not, but he made some choices that I was not happy with. And it was during the last month of my chemotherapy when that happened. So having someone that I thought, you know, that was supposed to be the support and your husband and your rock and then bad things happened and it kind of unraveled from there. Without saying his name, do you mind telling me what happened? I, it was a Friday night. We were out and I came home. We both came home and we were sleeping in different rooms at the time, which was very normal just because my treatment, he snores, wanted me to get a good night's sleep. So that was normal. And I ended up getting a couple messages, I think two messages and an odd comment on social media that related to him. And one of them, the person, sent me this message on social media and said, your husband tried to cheat on you with me. <laughs> what? The woman reached out to you directly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know her at all? No, no. Total, total stranger. And he didn't either. And we, and this was at 1130 at night was I think oh, when I finally started talking to, to her. So we just were messaging till I don't even know, two in the morning, and then I couldn't sleep. And so they did not have, nothing physical happened, but there was a fair amount of sexting, which I was not okay with. Of course not. No. What happened? Did you confront your husband? Did you ask him about it? Mm Mm-hmm. So nothing happened immediately. He went to work the next morning on a weekend, which was also normal, but he went to work and I don't know what I did all day. And then he had plans with friends that night. I had plans with friends that night, which was great. So I went to my friends. It was this mom's night in, ended up sleeping at my friend's house. The next day he's at work again. And then finally the next night he asked me and he said, did anybody reach out to you? Because the woman had warned him that she was going to. He brought to. it up? He yeah. brought it up. Wow. Because she had threatened him that she, that was part of the whole thing. was like, I'm right. going to tell her. And so he asked, and I'm thinking, well, that's really cowardly. Because then, because it, I think he was hoping, like, if I'd said, oh, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. But instead I said, uh, yeah. And then, and he denied it and he was saying that he started, a con- that it was the beginning of a conversation and it was very innocent. Like they had this mutual friend, but then it took a turn and he stopped and blocked her and which I wasn't sure. And I believed him. And then the next day we talked again and then I ended up 
getting his, he gave me his phone and I was able to see all the messages. That was very unpleasant. And then he, like after that day, then it was, no, I wasn't blocked. It, like I actually said those things, which by that point I thought, yeah, I know. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. yeah it was really not a great time. I had Here we are and we're no longer married. <laughs> <laughs> and you seem not a thing anymore. <laughs> it was not a good idea to. I went back and forth. So I, I had, I struggled for months. Like I was crying every single day, just crying. And how could he do this to me? And I'm this cancer patient and, and, and didn't know, well, is this, do you end a marriage because of this? And I know that's a whole nother thing because many people, many people would stay. That's a valid choice. Many people would leave. That's a valid choice. But for me, I just, I knew that yeah. it wasn't, wasn't for me to stay married to him. Yeah, it sounds like you did what was best for you, and that's good. I believe that I did. Now that we know the worst moment, mm -hmm. <laughs> what was the best moment? Really leaning, it goes almost hand in hand in that, is really, really becoming close with the drag community here in, in Madison, where I live. As I was at that just lowest, lowest time. And then I started going to shows more often. I was already friends with people, but then I just started going to more shows. Part of it was just, I didn't want to be in the house anymore. I didn't want to be with him. And it was this place of just joy and happiness and love. And I think that is exactly what I needed at that time. Oh, that's so nice. But I do have to say, I don't think most Americans would think of Madison as having a drag community. <laughs> well, so they should come and check it out. But maybe they'll be surprised. Yeah, that's so fascinating. <laughs> we have a lot of very talented drag performers here. For other people going through cancer, what was it about that community that, at least from what you're telling me, it seemed like it helped you heal? They absolutely helped me heal. I think it was letting me be me accepting me for who I was just meeting you where you are because sometimes I think people want to like fix the situation and you can't like the chemo drugs or radiation or whatever like the medicine's going to do whatever the medicine's going to do or eastern medicine whatever it is but as far as people like people can't make my cancer go away as much as they might want to that's impossible being there for you and just having fun. Because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's like if you are with people that it's constantly, how are you doing? Are you okay? And like you want to talk about it a lot. And it's like, maybe I don't want to talk about it. Maybe I just want to go and sit and watch a show. So everybody's different. I think knowing what is going to help you. So it's like, that helped me. Am I going to say that every person who has cancer should go start watching drag shows? I mean, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> really, they have to do what's best. If it brings you joy, then go for it. If it brings you joy and it doesn't hurt people, I try and add that little aside. If you're doing doing something that's joyful for you and it's hurting a lot of people, it's probably not so great. But if you're doing something that's joyful and maybe people don't understand it, who cares? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Who cares? Who cares? And I just love what you said about they loved you for who you were. I feel like the people who are really looking out for me and have my best interest, they're not going to judge me for those choices. I feel like if people know your heart and they know you're a good person, that's what's most important as far as individual actions. Yeah. Whether I go to five shows in a week, who cares? Whether I wear a sequin jacket all day, who cares? <laughs> and it's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. And I have been wearing this all day. <laughs>
so I want to go back to you seem to have finished your cancer journey right before COVID. Am I getting the timing right? Not long before COVID? Well, yes and no, because I actually, I am in treatment again right now. What? So oh, whoa, whoa. Back up, back up. Okay. okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I made an assumption. Okay, go back. What the heck happened? Um, so I had all the treatment, did all the things. So September of 19, I got my port out. And a week later, I hosted a drag show benefit. It was amazing. And fast forward, you get into COVID, all of that, having back problems, but I didn't know they meant anything. Fast forward, fast forward to April of 21. So not that long ago now. So April of 21, I had blood work done. Blood work was fine. But my very wise oncologist asked, like, hey, and how you doing? How's life? How you feeling? I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, my back hurts all the time. Yeah. He was like, flag, flag. Yeah. So. Yeah. He did not think that was good because, and in my defense, we were in a pandemic. Maybe I'm sitting more, maybe I'm not moving, maybe I'm getting older. Like I just, and also I had breast cancer. So I'm like, I just didn't make the connection with my back, but he did. So he wanted an MRI. Didn't happen for a little while, which we'll get to that. And then MRI, bone scan, all bunch of things. And somewhere in that time, he kind of let on like, oh, I think you might have cancer again. And turns out he was right. So I have metastatic breast cancer. So it means that, because not everyone knows what it means. It means that cancer cells, the way he put it was like, cancer cells fell asleep and then they woke up somewhere else in your body. So there was a tumor growing around my spine, which is why my back was hurting so much. Oh, Jamie. Oh and then there are le le lesions in my liver. So it's in my liver and it's in my spine for, for right now. Wow. Sorry. I'm stunned. I mean, wow. Um, what did you think when he gave you that news? Well, I knew it was coming. Like by the time he told me, I knew, like I knew really even after. So when we had that appointment in April and then he wanted to start doing tests, I'm like, oh man, here we go again. Like I kind of, because there hadn't been, there wasn't another logical conclusion. Right. And I feel like if your oncologist is wanting tests and he's been practicing medicine for how long? And I think even maybe weeks into it, I even asked, I thought, I might've even said, I know you can't say for sure, but what do you think? And he said, I'm pretty sure it's back. So, mm -hmm. so I kind of had time to work up to it. So by the time he told me, I was like, oh, okay, like I, okay, I know. What did your kids think this time? I feel like it was hard for them, but not as hard maybe as the last time. Just, I don't know. I guess I'd have to ask them. But I work really hard to try and handle my journey mostly myself. Like I lean on my friends a lot, but I don't try and put too much on the kids. So on purpose, because I feel like they're teenagers, they're 15, 15 and 17. Like being a teenager is hard enough that I don't need to be dumping my journey on them. So I try and just explain things simply. This is the plan. This is what it means. And then if I have really bad days, I try not to let them know it as best I can. Because I don't think that's fair for them to deal with. So yeah, like they, they weren't obviously happy about it. But I think the way you present sometimes can make a difference. You know, if I had went to them crying hysterically, right, they might have responded differently. But I had had weeks, and again, I didn't tell them 
until we were ready to start treatment. And that right. one, this time was actually a lot harder because I actually did radiation on my back before I had the official cancer diagnosis because my oncologist was getting really worried that I'd be paralyzed, that this tumor was going to keep growing around my spine. Cause he kept asking, oh, he's like, man. can you feel your toes? And I'm like, yeah. So we were waiting on the scans, you do the test and then you wait. And so I did five days of radiation before I was sure that it was cancer and thought, should we really do this? And he thought, well, whatever. Like basically if it's not cancer, having five days of radiation isn't going to hurt you. But if it is, let's do, we need to do this right. ASAP, like before something really bad happens to your spine. So that this time was a lot harder from that perspective, like not telling the kids and I kept having appointments, but I wasn't telling them why I had appointments. And it was fairly stressful. I will say that that part was super duper stressful and they weren't in school again yet. Ha ha. Forgot about that because oh, mine God. didn't go back until this fall. Oh, so they gosh. were, they were home and I kept having to leave for appointments. Like, uh, I just got to go check, which I guess at least the fact that I had cancer before, they probably just thought I had checkups. So that helped. And again, I manage my emotions as far as they're concerned. Like I might call my friend and I'm crying hysterically, but to them, it's like, oh, I just got to go. I just got to go get a checkup real quick. Oh, wow. But what is the treatment? What are you doing right now? So I am in a cycle of at once every three weeks. So I have a port again. Which that that was kind of like, oh, like I just gotten it out. So I have a port, but it makes it a lot easier. So he'll say if you have the choice of getting a port or not, it does make it can make your treatments a lot easier. So I go once every three weeks and it's definitely a different beast. Metastatic is different, meaning that they're not even trying to cure me. Like they're just trying to extend my life. So that's very different than the last time. And I have told the kids, they said, I might be in and out of treatment like literally the rest of my life. Given that it is now metastatic, were clinical trials ever discussed? They were, and they're a possibility, but we're starting other treatments first. And a lot of times with qu clinical trials, the clinical trial requires that you would have tried other things first to say, oh, right. well, that didn't work, so let's try that. So it's a possibility, but we have not, I've not done a clinical trial yet. Well, I'm glad it was discussed and mm -hmm. it's, it's a possibility. How do you look at your life differently now versus mm. when you had no idea you were ever going to have cancer? Oh, gosh. I was thinking just before the, between now and the last time. Um, Very differently. Um, more just one day at a time. That's probably the biggest difference. And I'm a big planner and I like being a planner. Me too. So <laughs> that is a challenge. And the thought of, oh, let me plan things for two years from now. I'm not planning things for two years from now. I'm not planning things for three months from now. Not in that gloom and doom, like, oh, I might not be alive, but I might not. And even if I'm alive, like, I don't know how I'll feel. I think it's even that. So it's not necessarily, I don't know if I'll be alive, but with this treatment or that treatment, who I, who knows how you might feel. So I feel like it's one day at a time today, I feel good. So today I do X, Y, Z. And if I feel bad, then I'll make different choices. Yeah. There are definitely some ways that I have to go counterculture to who I am. It's like, but I, like, I'm a planner to my bones, to my <laughs> core, but, but it just doesn't really work to be a planner. So I've, I, but you adapt. So now I feel like I plan more short term. So it's like, I'm going to plan things out for two weeks or a month or, you know, so I'll plan 
shorter term. So it's not like I don't plan at all anymore. I'm still a planner. I just plan shorter term. What's one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? Very, very beginning, first time around. How to ask for help and what good help would be. Because Ooh. lots of people want to help. And sometimes the way the ways people want to help may or may not be helpful to you. And sometimes you don't know. But if you do, tell people, I would say, be honest with them and saying, sure, a meal train would be great. That would be super helpful. Or please don't, you're going to fill up my freezer. No, thank you. And you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I love that insight. And I completely understand because when my sister was battling cancer, a good friend of mine who lived halfway across the world at that point kept trying to send us meals. And this was 20 years ago when they didn't really have it dialed in very well. <laughs> no. And so they would call you first, but every time they called, we were never home, you know? And, and so it just, I don't remember it ever happening and he meant well, and I don't cook. So yeah, give me free food. I'm up for that. But it, it just, it didn't work. That's exactly it. They mean well and knowing that. So when you answer, you can say, you know, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I know you love me. You know, like, so you don't be like, no, that's not helpful. <laughs> but, but yeah, especially if they are trying to help and then they're doing something that's not helpful and it's not great for anybody. No, it's not. And what I tell people is if you offer to help, it, whether, you know, it's cancer, any kind of serious illness, but you offer to help your friend, your colleague, your, you know, your sibling, family member, you have to be willing to do whatever it is they need, no matter how outrageous it may seem or how small it may seem. And many times people just won't do it. Even if it's something small. They want to help the way they want to help. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, which might not be helpful to the person. So I have an interesting side to this. And please, if anybody has done this, like, don't be, don't get your feelings hurt. I'm not, <laughs> don't be offended. But no, tell someone us. in my life, well, it was my husband. It was my ex-husband. Did the whole shave head thing. I know a lot of people do that. And it's the whole solidarity thing. I hated it. Hated really? it. Did yeah. you tell and, him? Yeah. And well, I tried to say before he did it, like, no, you don't have to, like, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I didn't specifically say, please don't, but it was like, mm -hmm. so I showed hesitation, but afterward, and this is why, so this is why I'm explaining it because people might think, oh, it's the nicest thing to do. And again, this is just me. Some people might love it. Like go get your hair shaved together. Great. But for me, seeing him was a reminder of it for me because during the day when I was just home, either bopping around the house or I had a hat on like I for, sometimes could forget that I didn't have hair but then I'd see him and it was a reminder for me yeah wow so I did not enjoy that but and I know heart's in the right place and all that so yeah you have to have ask. yeah mm -hmm. yeah all right I can't wait to hear this answer Jamie if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the US, what would it be and why? Completely change insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this specifically, so this is why. And I am grateful that I have the insurance I do. I am grateful that I have that. But in April of 2021, 
when my when I had my bad back situation and my doctor wanted an MRI, insurance denied it. And I am a cancer. I had had cancer just years prior. This is my oncologist saying this person needs this MRI. I waited six weeks to have that MRI. So that cancer was theoretically growing in my body while I was waiting. And I had to jump through a couple other hoops. It was like, well, you can't have the MRI, but you could do a bone scan and then a bone x-ray. And then I ended up having the MRI anyway. Oh, and to God. think six weeks, six weeks is a long, can be a long time in the cancer world. Oh, God. So, yes. yeah, it's, it's bizarre the number of tests you have to have to get to the test you really need mm -hmm. just because somewhere on somebody's table this was the way it made the most sense and it was the cheapest or whatever so right. mm -hmm. um yeah I, I agree okay jamie are you ready to lighten things up and do the thriver rapid fire let's do it okay beach desert or mountains beach beach boys beetles or rolling stones beetles what is one word that best describes you Boil. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Only Girl in the World by Rihanna. Oh, great <laughs> song. What about the last meal you want to eat? New York City pizza. And the last person or people you want to see? Oh, my, all my best friends. I have too many. My inner circle. I'll just say my inner circle because my inner circle means like the closest, closest people to me. And the last words you will speak. No, I won't swear, um, but I might. You can. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I think no. I'll just say love you because I think whoever whoever is there with me, I'd say love you. Those are my uh, last words for my sister. Last thing she said, I love you, sissy. And aside from cancer, you what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And then I also want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Sure, a great resource, Gilda's Club is, an, I believe, national, I think it's pretty widely spread throughout the country. They're really great support groups. So they're support groups for the people who love the people who have cancer. There's for the people who have cancer. So, and they do fun things too, community. So Gilda's Club just is the top of my mind. And how you can find me. So one way to do it is to go to ydysweets.com because that has you can learn about me. You can see the clothing line I designed. You could read about the book I wrote. Wait, it's clothing? I thought it was candy. It's clothing? People, yeah, yes. It is clothing. Oh, it is a clothing line. Oh, fun. Oh, <laughs> I, I have wait. gotten that before, though, so it's not the first time I've heard that. Oh, and then cool. also, Instagram's easy to get to know me personally, and that's just at Jamie Sherling. So if you spell my name right, you'll find me. <laughs> that's the trick. Jamie gets misspelled all of the time. Well, I know it's with an I, and we will make sure to put all those links and the workshop notes and the show notes and, um, and Gilda's Club is a good one. I don't hear that one very often, but oh, yeah. Good. yeah, they're really good. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you again for having me, Andrea. Most appreciated. And love the jacket. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.